Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Souls Undressed. I'm your host, Tori Rinkovich, and you're listening to episode 19. Today, we are having a Q&A with yours truly. And these questions came from the Instagram community, the Facebook page, as well as past clients, some members of my team, and then a couple of people close to me just to kind of give that inside look um, at questions that would come from somebody who knows me well. So I will start us with our quote and then we are going to dive right in because I have a bunch of questions. So you are in for a treat. Today's quote, As children, we're taught to use our inside voices, but girls who become women are still told to keep quiet, not to rise higher than a man's chest, still treated like toys. The ones who have lungs to say what they mean are just seen as bad girls who don't follow the rules. That's by Raquel Franco. I chose that quote. Um, For a few reasons. I was really drawn to it, and I almost didn't write it down a couple of different times, but because I was so drawn to it, I was like, no, I have to. Um, And I think I wasn't quite sure if it would match with this episode just because these question topics cover so much, Um, but I think it's really the last bit of that quote that resonates so deeply with me that I was like, no, we have, we have to include it here. So I'm going to read it again. The ones who have lungs to say what they mean are just seen as bad girls who don't follow the rules. Um, I just, I would like write that all over my mirror. Um, if I could give one piece of advice, it would be to never sacrifice what you know is right just for the sake of maintaining a label or avoiding a label. Um, And that's all I'm really going to get into with that um, because we're going to dive into so much of my thoughts and my experiences in this episode. So let's do it. You're listening to the Souls Undressed podcast with your host, Tori Rankovich. If you're ready to bear it all, strip away the stigmas and get down to business with thought-provoking conversations and all the raw reflections to help you ride life's waves, then you found your one-stop shop, honey. It's time to dive into an episode full of endless tips and tricks for the go-getter and soulful lover. All right, all right. Question number one. Do you have any tips and tricks for budgeting? Um, So this one, I kind of giggled because we don't really truly budget in my home, but I am a former consumer education teacher. So uh, we had to teach budgeting to our students. And uh, my biggest piece of advice for budgeting would be to uh, look at your monthly income, which is super easy to do. Most of us only get paid once or twice a month. If you get paid four times a month, that's fine. Just write it down when it comes in. It's not like you have to set it aside and not spend it, but just write the amount down as it comes in. 
Um, if you have a wage that um, kind of changes from month to month, I would recommend doing this for a couple months in a row, maybe even three, to get kind of like an average if you're really being serious about budgeting, just because you don't want to lowball yourself and not um, make sure that you have enough money set aside. Say you made a lot of money one month, um, and it was just a really good month at the restaurant or at the bar or whatever. Um, you don't want to expect that high income every month. So I would say, that's what I was saying, average it out um, so that you've got kind of like a, a good idea of what you're truly ideally going to bring in. Um, one thing that Andrew and I do in our home, anytime we're talking about spending money, um, big money, we always overestimate the expense um, and underestimate what we have so we will like round down the amount of money that we are saying we have in our minds and we will round up um what we're thinking about spending and that just helps us um not cut it too close if that makes sense um so as far as adding up your income for the month after you know that then i would just take a quick browse at your bills and i know that budgeting sounds so extreme and like extravagant and hard but it's not at all if you just look at your like electricity bill, your garbage, water, um, internet, cable, phone, all of that, <clears throat> any money that you have to put out to pay for bills, just look into that. Think about roughly if you drive quite a bit away, quite a ways to work. Um, I would also recommend just noting for like a month how much money you put in your gas tank, um, because then after you've got an idea for how much you're putting out and how much you're bringing in, it's really easy math to just figure out like, okay, what do I need to stay in as like a spending window, um, in order to be comfortable? Uh, because in my opinion, budgeting is so just so about having the money to spend on what you want to spend it on or what you need to set it aside for. Um, another thing we always talked about in consumer ed, which this will be the end of this question, but we always talked about, um, making sure that every month you put money away to put into say or put money aside to put into savings. Um, say you blow a tire or you need new rotors on your car or your transmission blows. Um, those are pricey fixes that are pretty important for you to be able to still get from point A to point B when you're trying to go to work and continue making income. Um, so having some money set aside like that or, Say you get hurt, you break your arm, and it's your dominant arm and you need it to do work. Like you need to be able to pay for your doctor's bills. So just little stuff like that um, where it makes savings. You're like, oh, it's just savings. I don't need that. It kind of gives a purpose to savings. Your savings truly should be there for like a true shitty rainy day. <laughs> and then that way it's there if you don't have a rainy day and you and your friends or you and your lover have an opportunity to go on a quick trip like – cool, you can spend half of that, keep the other half, you know, don't make a habit of that. But I am definitely someone personally, since we're talking about me myself, um, I will make sure that I have a big chunk set aside for in case anything happens, or say if Andrew and I stumble ac across the perfect home for us, like, we're not really sure if we're wanting to buy, we've gone back and forth so many times. But if we stumbled across the perfect home, we're going to want to have a down, po a, a down payment to put down. So um, I always like to make sure that I have a good set, a, a good chunk set aside, but at the same time, my twenties have taught me, honestly, from 22 to 26 has taught me that 
my savings is there, yes, to catch me if I need it, but it's also there to allow me to live. And that just gave me goosebumps. Ooh. Um, but one thing that I want to make sure that I say, if you are listening to this for the sake of like this question, because of the sake of saving, I want you to remember that you don't get to do anything with this money when you die. So yes, you need to be responsible and yes, you need to have enough savings to be able to keep yourself above water when that time comes, if the need comes, but you also have to realize that if you have secured yourself in a job that's going to continue to bring you income, that money will replace itself And you have to allow yourself to live and enjoy your time on this rock because what is the point if you're not enjoying it? Um, So that is kind of like my budgeting advice. If you guys want me to talk more on that just from like the teacher perspective and just from like a life perspective, let me know and I can maybe make an episode all about it. But I don't want to talk more on that now. Um, How are you planning and prepping to get through this likely emotionally tough winter? So... Um, this was kind of like a two-part question in my DMs and I brought it into one. Um, she was saying she's expecting this to be a pretty tough winter. Obviously the pandemic has been tough as is. Um, some people are thinking that the pandemic will get worse again before it gets better with flu season. Um, and I think just in general, we've been so isolated so much more than usual this year that isolation is going to feel and like the, the cabin fever is going to feel even more heavy. Um, so How am I planning or prepping to get through this tough winter? Um, Well, this is actually kind of the first year in winter that I'm trying to be ultra responsible um, as far as my personal self and my business self go. I have already made the decision to limit my November sessions to eight sessions for the month. Um, There is a bunch that has gone into that decision. Um, I am like working on potentially making some really big, not potentially, I'm, I'm moving toward making some big moves, um, some really big emotionally tough decisions as is. So at any time of year, let alone in the winter when my seasonal depression hits normally anyway. Um, so I'm cutting down my workload to an appropriate and manageable, um, level I also said to Andrew, I'm like, I know that I'll probably take on a few sessions just for like fall sessions for family and friends here and there. Um, But I think that's the first thing that I did this year to really prep for the weight that's going to be felt on my shoulders this fall is just trying to be really mindful about how much time I'm going to have for myself. Um, I think too that knowing when you start to dip And knowing what it is that brings you joy are two huge factors for me um, in prepping for the lows of the winter. Um, I know that as soon as we start losing sunny days, my emotions get heavier, my motivation drops. I already struggle with motivation and failure to thrive ideals and whatever as is. So um, I have... I really like Ollie brand vitamins. Um, they sell them at Target and Walmart. But I have this the vitamin D ones. I don't love the flavor, so I don't take them year-round, but I do keep them for winter um, in those fall months just so that I can continue to lift myself up as needed. Um, I also try to make it a point to um, find a getaway of some sort in the winter months just to kind of give myself a change of scenery. Um, So usually 
we will uh, be super crazy busy around the holidays. So I never try to travel too far during that time. But um, in the past, we've gone to Seattle to visit friends. Last year, I had a workshop actually in Seattle as well. Um, and I did that for five days. And then I had a destination wedding in February. Um, so this year, we are planning um, a trip instead of going in October when Andrew's busy work season will be and my busy work season will be. That's when our anniversary anniversary will be. Um, we are planning to take a trip in February. Uh, and we're going to road trip, take the dogs, um, kind of travel south to avoid the crappier weather and then hoping that we can kind of play it by ear as to where we can visit. But that's another thing that I always try to give myself is just the awareness that there's going to be a change of scenery, a change of pace, a little bit of sunshine thrown in there. Um, <clears throat> and I also, the last thing prepping for the long winter is just knowing your support system. I think that knowing the people that you can rely on is something that I hope isn't underrated, but I think it is. I think that we get so used to filling our time and we don't think about filling our value or like fulfilling our need for value. So um, just pre-thinking ahead of time, like who can I rely on this winter? And just like a little caveat, don't be a shitty friend. Like if you're going to be somebody who wants to rely on someone for their warmth and their energy in the winter, maybe consider why they're just coming to mind for winter. If they're a friend that feels good on the soul in those long winter months, they are a friend that feels good on the soul all the time. And chances are you're being kind of selfish if you're only thinking of them for the winter and you don't spend your time with them the rest of the year. So maybe just marinate on that. What are the ways you process heavy emotion? Um, hot baths. Smoking cannabis. Um, I cry into my pillow alone. Um, so there's like times where I want to cry with like be near Andrew and have him hold me. And then there's times where I need to just like fully like let it out like exorcism style, you know, I know that you know what I mean. So there are times where I'll have to be like, I just need to be alone. And I will go back in our bed and I just heave into the pillow and I cry, and I just let the emotion out. Um, that is like step one. Sometimes it's not step one because I can't. I don't just like make myself cry, and sometimes it builds before then. But um, I think that feeling the emotion is so important, and I think that's something that so many people don't do enough. They think they just have they they think I have to be happy. I can't feel the feeling. I have to just move on. Um, but that shit ain't going anywhere until you feel it. So. That is always big for me is just to sit and like really feel it out. And then, like I said, a bath. Um, I also, if I'm like feeling heavy, but I know that it's best for me to get moving or I have something that's moving me along that day that I know I have to kind of pick myself up for, a dance party always. Like you can't turn on old jams that like used to sing to your 15-year-old soul and dance around and be in a bad mood. Like, you just can't. So I would say that. And also, I talk about it. I am a verbal processor. I think it's so important to know how it is that you process. Um, if you're a writer and you need to write stuff out, then you should journal or you should type. 
Um, if you're a talker, then you need to talk it out. Like, I don't care if people have told you your whole life you talk too much. You need to find somebody who doesn't tell you you talk too much and you need to talk it out. Because for me, if I don't verbally process something that I need to, my anxiety just freaking skyrockets because I have nothing to do with the thought and energy. Um, so that is definitely, and I eat, which is not something that's recommended, I hear. But I am most definitely uh, like a feelings eater for sure. Um, what brings you pure joy? I was reading through these last night and I was like, how am I going to answer this? Pure joy comes when I am face snuggling my dogs. Like, I don't care how weird that sounds. Dogs have such a calming smell about them and like when they're clean and even when they're not super clean, like a dog is not going to smell like doggy shampoo all the time. But I, there's just something about rubbing, like pushing my nose and my face into my dog's faces, like they're soft fur and they just know like to give me the love back. So we just sit and like rest our little faces on each other. Or like if they aren't in the mood to rest their face on me, I'll just like lay my head on them. There's nothing like that. Like there is no sort of pure fulfilling energy, like resting your head on your animal and just like breathing with them it's just seriously pure joy that's it um other than that mornings like very first thing in the morning and very last thing at night laying on Andrew's chest like at nighttime um when he was laid off that was like you just forget how great it is to just not have to be anywhere um so like having those moments just to lay in bed and not have to rush to sleep or not have to rush out of bed to do something What's your favorite place in the world and why? So I think that I have a couple. I know you're not supposed to have more than one favorite. That completely defeats the purpose. But I have like my favorite favorite place locally. And then I have my favorite place that like I want to visit again. Um, and even that I have a place locally, like not locally, but like stateside and then... Um, like foreign but I would say in driving distance my favorite place is the area club um so it's like a strip mine club that we have out here where I live and it's just like a bunch of lakes and ponds um not big lakes or anything like that but people go boating camping you can eat like have a picnic play sand volleyball stuff like that but um It's just really big, and it does get busy sometimes during the summer when, like, camping is going on, Um, but it's so, there's so much ground that there's so many places you can go and just feel like the only person in the world. Um, Being able to escape there is huge for me. Um, I don't have as much now that, like, I need to just go sit and process, like, quietly by myself, but I would go sit there, like, every day after school and just cry. (laughs) um and not not always just cry but there's like the sunsets right there over the lake that is just like the most serene place that I have at my finger tape fingertips um but favorite place in the United States most definitely the Pacific Northwest I cannot get enough of the forests and mountains and streams and rapids and oh it's just all so fucking stunning out there like I could spend all of my time there um And I've never been to Oregon or Northern California, but I just want to do all of it. Like, I want to road trip all of it. 
Um, which is exactly why I want to live in a bus because I just want to see it all. Um, okay. And then outside of the United States, favorite place I've ever visited that I cannot wait to go back is the Dominican Republic. Um, when I was booking my flight or when my wedding client was booking my flight to go there was when there was a bunch of like, the United States was just mad, mad saucy about the Dominican. Um, there was some like tabloid drama going on and there were a couple of people who had died from like unexplained deaths and they weren't sure if it was from the water or what was going on. I was terrified because of the way that the media was blowing it up. And my couple was like, we have been there before. It is literally amazing. You're going to love it. So I was like, all right, cool. So wasn't concerned, got there. It was amazing. The people are so kind. Like I have never met a whole group, like island native group of people who are so kind and so welcoming and so just like warm always. Like I, it, it was great. I loved it. I can't wait to go back. I came home and said to Andrew, like, we don't like leaving the dogs ever. So we don't really travel together like far, but I told him, I was like, we have to come back here. Like it is absolutely amazing. The beaches are amazing. The water is amazing. The people are amazing. The culture, it's just all stunning. Um, how do you know when someone is worthy of being in your tribe? Um, this one was, I was thinking on this last night too. Um, I think that since it says, how do you know? I think that I know in my, like, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like, I just like can feel it in my body when I have like, I, it's like that feeling when you think you like, when you feel like you've known someone in another life, like you don't have to know their life story. You don't have to know like all the things about them, but you already feel close with them or you already can tell that you trust them. And last night when I was thinking on this question, trust is really what was sticking out to me. Like, I think that I know that someone is worthy of being in my quote unquote tribe um, when I can feel the emotional trust that I already have in them and that they have in me. Um, I think that it's really hard to have an unspoken and like close knit bond with someone when, um, when one of you feels that you have to, um, prove how you feel or you have to prove your worthiness or, um, prove your interest level or your disinterest level. Um, I just think that I know when someone is, I don't like the word worthy, but, um, kind of will effortlessly mesh with my tribe when, I can feel their heart on their sleeve and their soul space just like so open and just that emotional trust just so present. Uh, when do you feel the most tranquility? Most definitely when I am sitting in a hot bath. Um, that is usually the time I am most at peace. Um, it takes away all of my pain I can just rest, close my eyes, feel the water kind of just like brush over me. And then I usually just hang out in the bath until I start sweating, like until it's uncomfortable. Um, but my massage therapist back in the day used to tell me, she's like, whenever you're having pain like that, just run the bath water and sit in it as hot, like sit in as hot of water as you can handle. And it helps your body kind of reset. You breathe deeper um, and you kind of can come out and feel a bit more aligned and loosened up and stuff like that. 
if you could know the absolute truth to one question, what would you ask? Hmm. So when I first read this question, I thought that I would ask something um, to my mom, which would not be like a fun podcast episode answer, but it is the truth. And we're talking about true Q&As. Um, so I think I would probably ask like what, what it would take um, to help her balance out the worthiness um, between her chosen pastimes and the things that her family wished were important to her. Which one of your personality traits have been more useful for you? I love this question. When I read this, I literally like squealed um, because I just think, who asks that? That's such an amazing question. Which one of your personality traits have been more useful for you? I would say my openness uh, to being a fucking goofball and um, my people personness person my people people whatever the fact that I'm a people person um I would say those have been more useful to me as far as um in my chosen career path just because this business is so um connection driven and communication driven and transparency is so necessary so like me being my weird normal awkward self like that helps and lends itself to the transparency so much and um I think that being able to communicate well and connect well makes me able to help people feel comfortable um but I also think that's why I chose career paths that included human interaction and human connection so I would say they probably play right into each other um I can tell you which of my personality traits has been the least helpful, which is not a question that I was asked, but um, my desire to people-please and take on everything at once has not been helpful because that usually causes my ideas to take a year or two to accomplish instead of six months. But hey, as long as we do it with heart and we don't half-ass it, to me, it still counts. Um, all right, let's see. <laughs> when you have at least 30 minutes of free time, how do you pass the time? I was actually embarrassed uh, by this question and kind of embarrassed to answer because I don't do anything special or cool when I have 30 minutes of free time. I literally just sit. And I think I used to think of myself as an extrovert but I like when I think about how much time I need to truly recharge my social energy and like my social meter I'm like damn girl I don't think you're really an extrovert at all like it takes you a lot of time alone to be able to deal with more people um so usually when I have 30 minutes of free time I just lay on the couch or I eat truly I will either Usually, I will smoke a little bit, go grab a snack, chill on the couch, and turn on New Girl. Or I will come in, grab a snack, and edit 
just to like squeeze in some editing because I feel like I'm always editing since sometimes I can't. So like when I do have the free time and the like energy for it, that's what I do in all of my free time. Um, I also try to nap, but usually if I only had three minutes or 30 minutes, I would not nap. That would give me so much anxiety. Uh, What's your biggest goal in life? My biggest goal in life is to get to what feels like the last 10 to 15 years of it and truly just have an inner knowing that I served humans and myself and that I did what it took to live my life and live those days that I was given um, in pure happiness. And like, even when it's not happiness, in pure wholesomeness. Um, I think that if I got to the end of my life and I couldn't feel that way, I would be distraught. Like, I want to know that while I will feel tired and exhausted and run down by that time, that I left a little piece of me with each person that I crossed paths with um, that felt like they had room for part of my energy or part of my heart with them. Um, Biggest goal, for sure. And to see all the things that I want to see because I feel like what good are these freaking eyeballs for and all this camera equipment if I don't get to go see what I love, right? Um, In 40 years, what do you think you'll be the most nostalgic about? Also, another killer question. Um, What do I think I'll be most nostalgic about at 66? Ugh, these days with my puppies and my husband. Oh my God, that just made me sad and nostalgic now. Um, My 20s and finding myself with no holds barred and just this connection with my inner knowing that I feel in this phase of life that everything is happening as it should and just having this youthfulness with my husband and our dogs and oh this like rental house that we've loved and hated all at once and me trying to be a plant mom and failing fucking miserably, but um, just this the freshness of like really figuring life out for us and like deciding what it means for us. What makes you, what makes a person beautiful to you? First and foremost, their realness. I want to know that someone can be real with themselves. Like, even if real is rough around the edges and kind of sassy, like, or kind of an asshole, like, I want to know that people can be real with themselves and honest with themselves. And there are some sassy people that are being honest with themselves. A lot of sassy people are doing it to put on a show and they're not being honest with themselves but they do exist honest sassy raw people um but it may it's 
beautiful to me when people can embrace themselves. Um, like all of themselves. And what makes a person beautiful is when they smile about a compliment that you've given them. Um, when they like can actually take on some of it and like believe it, you know? Um, in your opinion, what separates a friend from an acquaintance? Uh, I'm going to go back to that emotional trust piece. I think that I'm a pretty open book, so I share a lot of like broad surface, not even surface level, like deeper stuff with a lot of people. Um, but my circle that knows like the nitty gritty and like the details and the really rough shit that I've kind of trudged through. I think that, and the people who show that they value being here to support me while those things happen, um, I think that's what separates a friend from an acquaintance. I think that a lot of us grow up wanting quantity over quality because it makes us feel more loved at the lunch table when we have 15 people around us instead of none. Um... But I think that as we get older, we have to be able to recognize that an acquaintance is someone who, while they are here for you and they may show up for you um, when it's convenient, they are not the same as the people who show up for you when it's inconvenient and who um, care enough to stick around long enough to hear the stories and you know, see the damage and still value and value you enough to pick you back up. Um, what sparked your interest in photography? I combined that question with, um, when did you first know that photography was your passion? Um, because I think they go really well together. Um, I had, my passion for photography started when I was young. I got a Kodak point and shoot camera, um, when they were like new and special and fancy and I thought I was the shit um and you'd like turn it on and the little lens would like pop out like turn out from the front um I used one of those in middle school and then I would bring it to cheer competitions I would bring it on the bus um I would bring it out at parties then I got another one like a Pixar or something or something like a pixel something um that was like a little bit smaller and it was like teal blue and it was my favorite um, and I would take photos of like my eye and like all sorts of goofy shit. Um, and so I would say my passion was born like late middle school, early high school for taking photos of like the moments and really capturing those memories. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do it professionally when I started seeing other people from my town um, really able to like do what they loved and be making money from it. I was like, wait a second. Like I was always told that like, I would never be able to support myself on that. So to be able to see somebody literally supporting themselves and like while they were taking other classes doing that, I was like, wait a second, I'm in. Um, so then I bought my camera at the end of college 
And from there, I knew. Like, I knew before I bought the camera that I wanted to do it professionally. And I've always just kind of had this, like, weird go-getterness in me where, like, after I've overthought something for so long, I just fucking go for it. So at that point, there was really no changing my mind on it. I was pretty committed. Uh, And from there, it just, like, really budded. Uh, How did you get your business started? So first thing was first, I had to buy the camera. Um, And then I really just knew that I wanted to practice shooting before I even thought about like the full business piece. I still remember thinking back like when somebody needs a family photo done, it's so weird that they're going to think of me like that I could do that. So um, that was really cool just to kind of navigate that um, in the beginning of just realizing that people trusted me. That was huge. Um, So I started shooting with people, just like friends, shooting sessions for free. And then I started charging really low. Like I charged $50 for a half hour and $75 for an hour. And I did like some backyard weddings and some vow renewals and family sessions and eighth grade sessions and just all sorts of stuff. Whoever would get in front of my camera, I took their pictures. And then from there, I just started making an album so that people could see my work. You kind of have to create a portfolio or like your own little storefront, you know? And then it just kind of started slowly from there. Four years after I started teaching, I was able to quit teaching and go full-time, which was crazy. Um, And it's just really grown ever since. How did you meet your husband? Um, So I met my husband at a party one night. And I actually, like, wasn't interested in him at all. I was super distracted. I had just broken up with my other, like, with my boyfriend that day. Um, We hadn't known, my boyfriend and I hadn't known each other for a super long time. He was, like, getting ready to leave for the military. And I, like, was just so in such a craze. I was like, what do I do? What's right? What's wrong? Um, There was this girl at the party that wanted to fight me. Um, So that was just a hot mess. And I just remember I had a friend who I had, like, known just off and on just from, like, having mutual friends in the community. And he came up and he was like, hey, like, Rango wants to meet you. Or my friend Rango wanted to meet you or whatever. And actually, I don't even think he said that. I think he just said, hey, Tori, this is my friend Rango. And just, like, introduced us. And I was just like, oh, hey. And, like, went on to go find the girl, like, so that I knew that who, <laughs> I wanted to know where the girl was who wanted to beat me up so that I didn't, like, get jumped at this party. Um, so I was super distracted. Uh, and then we became Facebook friends, Andrew and I. I don't know if he added me or I, or I added him. We go back and forth. Um, and then it was, like, a full year later that I had posted a Facebook status uh, after having a freshman orientation at the college that I was getting ready to go to. And um, Andrew went to that college, which I didn't know. Um, and he commented on my status and was like, wait, you're going to ISU? Um, and me being me, I like messaged him because I wasn't about to like have this conversation with this cute older boy on my status. I messaged him, hello, got a slide in the DMs. Uh, so I messaged him and was like, hey, like, yeah, I am going to ISU in the fall. Like, is that is that going to be okay with you, Mr. Rankovich? Like, being all funny and flirty and um yeah we just like really hit it off we talked over messenger for a little bit um 
I, like, asked him to talk on the phone one night. He made a big deal about how he doesn't talk on the phone. We talked for, like, an hour, and the rest was pretty much history. Um, not really. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, we, like, texted a little bit just to kind of, like, feel it out, but I could just, like, tell really early on that this was not something that I had ever experienced before as far as, like, feelings go, um, and I knew that I wasn't just some, like, random thing to him if he would sit on the phone with me for that long and um like we were having as like legit of conversations as we were having that's not just like some surface level stuff so kind of allowed myself to be trusting in that and then we hung out a couple times just like privately didn't really like share that we were hanging out yet or anything um and then we actually both went to unofficial which is like a college drinking day um, down at U of I, just like an unofficial drinking day. Obviously, it's called unofficial, but it's like unofficial Halloween. Um, but I had gone up with one of my friends, and he was over there because, or gone down with one of my friends. And he was there with a bunch of his friends, and uh, we like played, I played him in beer pong with another girl that was there, and we beat him, and I like couldn't fucking believe it. And uh, he kissed me in front of all of his friends. And from there, I was like, oh, shit. Like, we're in this. Now everybody knows. Um, and, yeah. So it was kind of weird. Um, we met, like I said. I had just broken up with my boyfriend the year before. We, like, didn't speak again. And then when we started talking, I had been kind of, like, very lightly talking to somebody from my past. Um, I had just gotten out of a relationship with the guy in the military like a couple months before that and another person from my past and I had been like hanging out and talking again and he'd asked me out a couple of times and I was like no like I'm really not like I just got out of this chaos I'm not looking to like jump back into something that I've already known didn't work once and um from there is when I started talking to Andrew and it's just one of those things when they like it's so cheesy but when they say like when you know you know I just think that you have to trust your guts because I got a lot of flack for talking to Andrew and like messaging him and hanging out with him. Um, when I was, when that guy from my past and I were like hanging out, talking casually, like trying to figure out if that was a thing. Um, but I also knew that like this wasn't something that I had like ever felt before and that I had to trust that. And clearly, eight and a half years later, a year of being married, like, it wasn't wrong, you know? So you just have to trust yourself. Um, what is your favorite event or type of session to shoot? I would say I have, like, a few for different reasons. Um, for nostalgia's sake, shooting weddings is, like, by far the, the biggest honor that I could ever have. Um, the fact that people seek me out and hire me to hang out with them on their wedding day and capture those photos that chances are have been thought of millions of times. Okay, maybe not millions of times, but like hundreds of times. And if it's somebody who, even if it's somebody who hasn't like thought of their wedding since their childhood, those people usually are even more so like, I know exactly what I want. I don't want to deal with some extra bullshit, like that kind of thing. It's just such an honor to be handpicked by humans who are going to experience this exciting and beautiful day and for them to be like, hey, we trust you. We want to create with you. We really like what you've done in the past. Like, 
There is nothing fucking cooler than that. Um, so as far as that, like nostalgia's sake, definitely weddings. Um, but the, the types of sessions that I get like the most giddy about, um, like in the moment. And I think it's because they're shorter and like a wedding day is eight hours usually like minimum. So, um, there are couple sessions within the mix of the wedding day that I like, obviously that's part of what makes me freaking adore weddings, but, um, couple sessions are so special to me. I just, there is nothing like photographing two humans that are in love with each other. Like there's just, there's literally nothing like being in the presence of that. Um, and I just, it makes my heart freaking well up. Like I just cheese the whole time. Cause I'm just so happy. Um, so couple sessions and then also boudoir. Um, I love helping women love themselves deeper and stronger and better and more wholesomely. So shooting boudoir, there's just nothing fucking like it. Um, that is the type of session that like could fulfill me forever. Like if I had to only shoot one type of session, it would be like sexy photos, whether it's sexy couples photos, sexy individual photos, like whatever it is, that is it. Because there is just nothing like it. There's nothing like empowering people. I just, I love it. Um, Where do you see your business going in the future? And I'm going to wrap up here soon. I'm going to read a few more. Um, I have 49 total questions, so I'm going to split these in half and we'll have to do part two. Um, but where do you see your business going in the future? I think this is a really cool time for me to get this question, um, to answer publicly because I have been doing a lot behind the scenes and I'm excited to be able to grow and expand alongside the people who are invested in and believe in this company and this brand of mine. Um, so obviously I see myself I truly see myself continuing to shoot photos until I physically can't, um, until my shoulders give out or my back gives out, um, or my neck like gets effed up and I can't continue like scrunching it down. Um, but I would love to not have to shoot as often as I do, um, just because of the wear and tear that it does put on my body and because of the amount of time that it does take away from, being able to put my heart and soul into editing as often as I would like to and into creating fun passion sessions and um, traveling as much as I would like. And I would like to shoot more weddings than I do now, um, but like have them kind of more consistent. Obviously, coronavirus made nothing consistent this year. Um, But I also see this brand evolving into lifestyle um, and like a really soulful feeling, uh, lifestyle brand. Um, obviously I have the podcast. That's not something that I ever am going to really see myself monetizing. I don't see myself going out and getting ads and turning this into something that I make money off of during episodes. Um, but I do fully believe in the idea behind Souls Undressed. So, um, I'm going to be doing collaborations between Souls Undressed and my photography brands, um, for different merchandise, I am in the process. I've designed like eight or nine different pieces and sets um, to release to you guys. It's all going to kind of come in shifts. Everything will be limited quantities, um, but 
I've been very passionate about merchandise for a long time now. I just am so, so, so passionate about what quality clothing and comfort can do for you, Um, especially as somebody who struggles with my mental health and talks about the different kind of like coping skills that I have or coping strategies that I use. Cozy clothes are always a part of that for me. So I think that's just something that's really special to me. Um, So, and I think too, like I've said before on my stories, I've probably said it in a podcast episode too, but for me, my clothing is a form of my expression. So being able to create clothing that is A, super high quality, B, so freaking comfy and livable and like versatile and C, can speak a message that is important and that we're passionate about, that's all that matters to me. So um, I plan to continue working in merchandise and paper goods, like sort of like prints and cards and stuff like that. Um, And that will hopefully be able to kind of pick up the part of business where like I was shooting 23 sessions last month. Like ideally, I would like to not have to do that. Um, Holy crap, like burn out city if I do that for too long. So Um, looking to definitely expand my photography brand into more of a lifestyle brand, obviously continue shooting, but also with the merchandise. And then, um, in 2021, I have a really big business shift coming for you. Um, as far as my photography business goes, and I really cannot say much about it yet. Um, because it's really big and it's going to be I think it's going to blow some people's minds, Um, but it's really exciting, and I think that everyone is going to be so, so happy and so, so stoked about it. I know that I am. Um, So as far as that bit goes, I can't really say where I see that pivot going in the future, um, but I can say that by summer 2021, you will know what that um, new pivot slash venture is. Um, But yeah, so I'm really excited about that as well. What, so this one, these next two questions kind of go together, Um, and I'm going to answer five more. So we're going to answer 25 questions here, and then we'll do 25 for part two. So right now we're on questions 20 and 21, and they are, what's your biggest dream and goal for your business, and then what's your biggest dream or goals in life? So I would say my biggest dream and goals for my business Um, ultimately my biggest dream and goal for Tori Elizabeth Photography and this brand that will continue to evolve, um, is for it to be consistent, sufficient, and soulful enough to be able to sustain itself. Um, and by sustain itself, I mean, I want to be able to build this brand and this, these services up to a point where, Um, I am not recreating the wheel every few months to continue bringing clientele in, um, but to where that clientele is consistent, I am booked out, um, I know what to expect for my upcoming years, um, because I think that once I reach that point of sustainability, I will be able to hire a team and not only just hire a team, but pay a team a livable wage um, that allows them to just work on my team. Um, that is my biggest goal for my team is to be able to support these women and allow them to have a badass work environment that they absolutely adore signing into, that they can work on mostly from home most days with their own families. 
um, that allows them to have vacation days and sick time and a salary that makes them proud. Um, that is my biggest business goal. My biggest dream and goals in life, other than um, what I said earlier about like kind of like end of life, um, I dream of renovating a bus of some sort and just living in it like a little pod with my family, just me, my husband, our dogs, um, and just seeing the ground that we've been given to walk on. Um, I think that, especially for me, I can't speak for others, but having the comfort of this home and um, having comfort-driven contentment, um, I think that it makes us kind of lazy, but it definitely makes us super content, and I think it makes us subtle. And um, when I think about how much earth there is for my bare-ass feet to step on, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here in Cole City, Illinois? Like, I love my hometown. I think that it's great. I Everybody, like, there are people who don't have access to sunflower fields and pumpkin patches and cornfields like we do. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, and there's nothing like a Midwest sunset, but I just feel like my feet were made to touch more, you know, and that my eyes were made to see more. Like, like I said earlier, what's the point in having these senses if we're not using them to explore what we have at our fingertips, you know? Um, tell us about your fur babies. Okay. <laughs> Pull my arm. Um, so our first fur baby, his name is Oliver. He uh, was our first puppy adventure. We got him from a garage litter from um, what they told us is a pure purebred mama. Uh, we have like the mom and Oliver, like both have very, very strong physical characteristics of a Weimariner. Um, but we were told his mom is a purebred silver lab. Um, and she was knocked up from like a neighborhood pit mix, just like a mutt. So um, Oliver is a silver lab pit bull mix. And we got him as a puppy at eight weeks. Um, he is 120 pounds now, three years old, uh, three and a half. And he is just like the biggest freaking ball of fluffy skin and love. Like, He's got like a super wrinkly, flabby chest that everyone loves um, and giant paws, so we knew he was going to be huge. Um, he's got like a lot of skin conditions because Silver Labs and Pit Bulls are both more likely to have skin issues. Um, so he's got like little spots on him from one of his past skin infections, but he is literally perfect in every way. And then Pancake is our rescue baby, and we rescued her... Um, from a rescue that actually saved her from a kill shelter up in Chicago, the the animal like wow this train, um, the animal control like Chicago animal control, um, and she they are a kill shelter for when they are over capacity, but she ended up needing to have surgery after she was rescued um, because the garage that they found her in. She was abandoned, tied up in a garage, no food or water, um, and had necrotic tissue, which means like dying tissue, um, around where she had babies. So 
she had had a litter of puppies and no one cleaned her up or anything. There were no puppies to be found. So it's likely that they took her puppies and they just left her to die um, or to be found. And so the Chicago Animal Control came and picked her up. They did surgery, like reconstructive surgery from the necrotic tissue that they had to cut out. And then um, they kind of rehabbed her a bit. And she's such a people person. I'm fully, fully confident that that is why she was able to live long enough in that shelter, her surgery, and just being a total lover. Um, And then from there, the rescue that we rescued her from picked her up, and then we found her through them. Um, I'm not going to give the name of the rescue just because I don't fully support um, what we experienced with them. We don't feel like they had... um, kind of knowledge of animals at the forefront of their concern at all times. Um, There was a lot of like selfishly driven decisions, which is fine. That happens. Most rescues are volunteer driven. Um, But that's just not something, it's not a place that we've recommended to others. After that, um, we're so grateful for her and everything happens for a reason. But yeah, she is amazing. She is not friendly to other dogs. It took us at least 10 days for her and Ollie to get to be together Um, I truly think that she was raised in like a fighting setting, um, where they would fight other pits and, you know, she was bred to have puppies and then abandoned. So she's had it rough and we muzzle her and kind of try to socialize her once or three times a year. Um, we're really going to start working on that more and more often just because eventually we would, we would like to add to our little pack. Um, but yeah, she's fine in a muzzle. Obviously she can't do damage in a muzzle, but she is a gremlin for sure. Um, what is your favorite location to shoot at? Um, so I would say anywhere that has water, I can have a freaking blast with. Um, I was just saying to my husband the other day that while I feel very confident in my ability to photograph and storytell in our area, it, um, it does make me sad sometimes to know the vast difference that it makes when you have a stunning backdrop, um, or gorgeous scenery or landscape. So I would say my favorite locations that I have shot at, um, have definitely been in Seattle and the Dominican Um, I love shooting in forests, but ultimately if I can shoot on a beach or at a lakefront, like I'm in, I love shooting with water. There's just something about two people playing in water, um, that just, it's magical. Um, 24, where did you go to school and what did you study? I went to school at Illinois State University. Um, it's down in Bloomington, Illinois, And I studied special education, uh, learning and behavioral studies. So I um, dreamt of being a teacher. Well, I dreamt of being a vet, a veterinarian or an animal groomer um, when I was really little. And then from there, I was going to be a teacher from the time I was like five through like high school. And then in high school, I got pretty passionate about photography. Um, I realized I didn't suck and that I had a pretty natural eye for it. Um, So you can learn more about like that, me not going to um, art school and stuff like that in earlier episodes, I think in episode one, but or maybe episode two. Um, But I ended up teaching for four years and then leaving teaching. 
Um, which actually leads right into question 25, which is, why did you quit teaching? Um, and then I also combined the question in with that that says, and what do you miss most about education? Um, so I would say I'll answer in that order. So I left teaching um, first and foremost just um, truly because of not being appreciated. Um I think that when you go to school and you study something for four years and you pay thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars and you trust that you've chosen your career path because of your compassion and your commitment and your dedication to its mission, um, that you gain a level of uh, knowledge and kind of wherewithal in your field. And um, after teaching... And working with students with disabilities from severe disabilities to learning disabilities that allowed them to work in a regular ed classroom all day long that just needs some additional supports, um, comprehending reading or working with numbers or whatever. Um, you trust in yourself that you are gaining knowledge, that you're gaining experience that you're gaining more and more compassion um, for this the humans that you're working with um, and in that you gain a level of expectation and trust and the expectation to be trusted um, and it all started out um, my the feelings of like the hair sticking up on the back of my neck, teaching in my school district. Um, not too long in, I could feel that the questions that I was asking were being pushed off and ignored. Um, I could feel that I was asking questions that my uh, special ed administrator special ed administrator wished I would not be asking. Um, I started getting emails ignored, um, like asking questions that I wouldn't get answers to, things like that. Um, So that was really the beginning of it. And then I started um, noticing in different meetings that were happening, in different IEP meetings that were happening, that um, we as a school district were not handling each student's case um, the same. And I don't mean the same as like, we weren't giving each kid the same services because obviously, um, but we weren't handling every case with the same amount of integrity. Um, there were certain meetings that were expected to be prepared for. There were certain meetings that we were expected to be deceiving. Um, there were certain meetings where, all of the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted appropriately and goals were previewed um, because there was going to be a parent lawyer present. And then there were meetings where I watched my special education director run through a 20-page document in 15 minutes and rush the parent out the door within 30 um, for a meeting that should really, on standard, take no less than an hour. Um So I was beginning to see that there was a piece missing in my school district's uh, integrity puzzle. And it was all stemming from or spewing out of um, 
the spout that came from right above me, which was my own personal leadership within, like my own um, administrator within special education. So I started asking more and more questions into my second year in the district. And um, I was learning to keep a better paper trail of my questions. I was asking questions over email instead of in person. Um, I was including my building principal in instead of just asking my special ed administrator questions. Um, and at the end of my second to last year, I had a student with a pretty severe um, behavior incident take place, and I was completely kept out of the loop. I wasn't informed about the behavior taking place. I wasn't um, called down to the office to meet with the student before their removal. I wasn't invited to the meeting that took place to determine the next placement for the student. Um, when another school employee informed the director that she would be informing me of like the notes that I missed since I was the student's case manager and by law I'm supposed to be aware of everything going on within the child's case. Um, she, was, she was told, no, you won't. You're not going to tell her. Um, so it just turned very, very dirty, very illegal, very quickly. Um, and after that instance, at the end of my second to last year, I was ready to explode. I felt that I had really good trust within my school, um, school district superintendent and um, building administration. I knew that I couldn't trust my special ed director, um, but that I was super passionate about this job and these students and that I had chosen this community for a reason and that I had um, expectations to withhold within me. So I, instead of just like going off the handle like I wanted to, thankfully my husband recommended being a smart adult about the situation. Um, he recommended starting to keep paper evidence, starting to keep paper trail documentation of what was going on, the, the questions I was asking, the things that were being ignored, um, the paperwork that was being done illegally, things like that. And so from April of, it would have been 2017 to April of 2018, we'll say, um, I kept a manila folder of emails with no responses, with emails of me asking for more information about how a legal process took place that I was supposed to be aware of and me being told that I didn't need to know. Um, they just needed a special ed teacher there in the room um, legally. Just all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Um, and then the following school year, so my last year started, and I got a professional development um, kind of envelope thing. It's kind of like an ad. And they put them in teacher mailboxes trying to get teachers to come gain their professional development hours through whatever company is putting on this educational. Well, this educational just so happened to be on the type of meeting that I was discluded from the year before, that I was aware that I was discluded from, um, and that I was 90 we'll say 93% sure it was handled illegally, but I wasn't positive. So um, an invitation to this type of professional development ended up in my mailbox at school. And I was like, holy cow, this is fate. Like this was meant to be, I was meant to get this. 
Um, so I went ahead, I went to my building principal first because the building principal has to approve it and then the district has to approve it. So my building principal looked over, um, any upcoming professional developments that were planned and he was like, nope, we don't have anything coming up that like covers this kind of stuff or that is similar. So I'll go ahead and approve it. I'm usually like pretty good about guessing what will go and what won't. So, um, we'll send this through and then I'll let you know when we hear back. So the next week we had a special education meeting, which were building meetings that were held by the special education director um, and the special ed teachers, which caveat, I found out at the end of my career while I was quitting and meeting with my superintendent that that was not the way that meetings were supposed to be held, that the special ed director was not supposed to be in direct contact with us teachers by herself. Our building principal was also supposed to be present, but Miscommunication across the district, across the board, leads to lack of following expectations, I suppose. So we we were in a special education meeting, and um, the special ed director asked me to stay after, after everybody else had cleared out. So I stayed after, and she asked me about being friends with someone. Well, over the weekend... um, Andrew's best friend was at my house. He's actually the guy who since then officiated our wedding um, when we eloped and will officiate our vow renewal next year. Um, His daughter has an IEP. And, well, she didn't have an IEP yet, but they were getting ready to do some testing for that. And I have his permission to talk about this. Um, And so in all of that, um, he was over at the house and he was like, hey, I have a questionnaire I have to fill out for her can you make sure that I'm, like, understanding the questions? I don't want to screw up my daughter's, like, testing. I want to make sure they have accurate information. I'm like, of course. Like, I've she's grown up around us, you know. I, I know the school side of it, and I know her personal life. So I just kind of explained to him, like, definition-based, if he wasn't sure of, like, what a question was asking. Um, and we got to talking, and he became aware that, well, I became aware that he had never been invited to Um, his daughter's IEP meetings. Well, I know through getting my education that all parents, both parents of a child with special needs or an individualized education plan or a 504 have the right and should be included in the child's IEP meetings, all of them. That's their right. It's your child. Um, And he had never been invited to an IEP meeting because of his work schedule. And I said, well, just so you know, like, it is law. You are allowed to be there. If you want to be included by phone, you're more than welcome to ask her special ed case manager to call you at the start of the meeting. And, like, it's just like a conference call. Like, everyone else is there in person, and then he would just be in by phone. He could just step away from work for 20 minutes, be in on the call, and call it a day. So he had emailed uh, her teacher, her special ed case manager, and said, hey, like, I have the questionnaire done. Um, also I was over with my friend Tori Cumming. She's a district teacher, a special ed teacher. She let me know that I can actually be in on those meetings. Um, I would love to do that. Can we set that up the next one? I'd like to be in by phone. Um, and then he said, also, I've talked to my, to my daughter's mom and because Tori is friends with us, um, if it's easier to include her on like the list of people who can be in the know about like her IEP and stuff, We can do that as well, and she can help us, like, understand stuff at home. So the teacher never got back to him that evening. Well, the next morning was my special ed meeting, and 
when my special ed director asked me to stay after, the first thing out of her mouth was, so you're friends with this family? And I was like, what? And she's like, well, you told this family you'd be their advocate, which I did not. And that's not what the email said because I read it. Uh, and I said, um, she said, well, we can't tell the family who they can and can't have at a meeting legally, but it would for sure be um, a conflict of interest for you to be there. You would be teaching like at the same time. And I said, well, I never offered to be their advocate because I teach during the hours of special education meetings. So that wouldn't make any sense to step away from my job and my students for that meeting. Um, I said, but I also know that the family is looking for assistance and understanding things. So if there is a line that you're telling me that I need to stay on one side or the other of, you need to make that very clear right now. And she said, well, I just need you to know that it could really make you look like, it'll really make you look like a bitch to the lower grade special ed teachers for not trusting their judgment. Mind you, I am like six months into knowing that this woman breaks the law carelessly and does not allow her special education case managers to do their jobs by law. So that was just ultra triggering for me. So I leave this meeting after saying, is there a line I need to stay on one side or the other of? Because if so, you better make it very clear because I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not going to be in here for like the threatening nonsense. So I leave the meeting, I go to my mailbox and in my mailbox right then, as I walked out of this meeting with her, is my request to go to the special ed development, um, like those educational hours, um, denied at the district level with a sticky note on it that says, we do not send um, special ed teachers to law conferences per the director, the special ed director. Um, thanks. And two things. There were special education teachers in my same building that went to a law conference by the same company in the years prior. So first lie. Second of all, can we process for a moment that we have a school district with a special ed administrator who is saying that we don't send our special education teachers who oversee the public's children's documents, legal documents, we don't send them to law conferences because, well, I don't know why. You fill in the blank. Why? Why would you not send your special education teachers to law conferences if you are not educating them on law? Oh, wait, I have a guess. <laughs> Probably because the pamphlet that I had requested for the educational that I had requested had the name of the exact meeting that I was illegally discluded on the year prior. So she probably didn't want me knowing what I was illegally discluded on and the ways that the meeting were handled illegally because she was breaking the law. So long story short, attempted to get it approved by my building principal, then I went to my union president, and then I went to the superintendent. So across all levels of this school district, we were we denied a special education teacher to gain information about special education law and practices that we are carrying out on a daily basis as special education teachers. So um, 
the director told the district and the building principal, I will offer a special education, special de- or professional development. I'm not, like, we're not sending her. So I took a personal day. I paid $600. I went up north, and I went to the professional development, and guess what? I spent six hours learning about how illegally the meeting was handled the year prior. Weird. So I also then got to attend the special education professional development that was put on in district, which the director coordinated after being asked why she wouldn't allow me to go to this professional development. Would you like to know what we learned about in that professional development in the district? We got a handout of symbols in a program that we were already required to use by law. Each of us were required to uphold at least six, if not 15, IEPs in this program. And during this professional development for an hour and a half of our lives, three sessions throughout the last semester of my teaching career, I learned about this program that we were already expected to use. We learned about what the symbols meant. We learned about how to sort the symbols um, in alphabetical order. We learned how to sort lists um, by disability category. We learned um, what each different tab showed us. If you can't hear the fucking sarcasm and dramatics in my voice, we literally learned how to use and understand a system that many of us had been using for four, six, eight, ten years. And I'm sure, I don't know, I need to look up the, the age of the system that we were using before I can truly say that people have been using it for ten years. But it's been around for a hot second. If you've heard of Easy IEP, you know what I'm talking about. So, um, needless to say, the last two years were a shit show for me. Um... I have a very good relationship with the parents of my students. I still, there are still parents who I keep up with, I keep in touch with. Um, I still am aware of how my students are doing, how their mental health is doing, how their education is going, what their jobs are. I'm taking some of their senior photos. I value my kids. And the last 20 minutes of rambling has been um, me just trying to express how broken my environment got around me. And I became surrounded by a bunch of people who valued what they had right now and valued the comfort that that brought them more than they valued following the moral compass in their chest and in their gut and more than they valued fighting for their students to all of their students, not just their highly functioning students, to have access to the same kind of future that they did. Um, and that just became an environment that I couldn't stay in, stay in any longer. Um, my very last meeting that I would have seen, that the, the very last meeting that I had with my special education director, um, it was... Not the last day of school because the students had finals, but um, I had a meeting that was not scheduled by me, but was scheduled by another staff member um, for a student with their parents. Um, And it was scheduled on the last day of school with 
like the last day that I would have study a, like a study hall with my students. Um, and being a special education teacher and having a class of 12 kids before they go take finals the next day, um, and they range from freshmen to seniors, um, I needed to kind of have a little check-in with them, make sure they knew to have their pencils, make sure they knew what their schedule was since the schedule changes, um, and then ultimately to get to say goodbye to them because they weren't going to have study hall with me again, which meant that was the last time I was going to be seeing some of them before I was done teaching for good. Um, so I had went and talked to um, the family that was part of the meeting that we were having ahead of time out in the, in the office and just said, hey, you know, it's the last day of school for um, our regular schedule. The students have finals in the morning. Are you fine with me stepping out the last 10 minutes of our meeting and um, making sure my students have all the info they need and sending them off and then coming back down for the end of the meeting? She's like, oh my gosh, totally, 100%. Um, so I end up finding out after stepping out of that meeting or after stepping out of the room to go talk to the parents um, before the meeting uh, that while I had stepped out, one of the staff members in the room had asked the special education director where I was because they had seen my stuff there. My computer was there. All my stuff was there um, when they had gotten in there, but I wasn't yet. And the special ed director's response was, oh, she's just out there in the office sucking up to the parents. So if that just kind of expresses the culture and the bullshit, the complete and utter bullshit that I had to deal with from my administration and the people who were supposed to be um, the people that I learned from and my go-to for guidance and support in doing my job the best that I could for the kids in my community and the families in my community, um, it became very clear very quickly that the goal there was um, do the job the quickest and easiest way possible and um, put up the smoke and mirrors for the rest that's necessary. Um, just stuff that I couldn't get on board with. Uh, if you know me at all from listening to this podcast, you know that I don't do well just speaking bullshit and I don't do well um, being untrue to myself or being inauthentic. And there was absolutely no way I could imagine living my life every single day just coming home and covering up somebody else's bullshit story that they were telling everyone else. Um, because to have to see those kids in the community and to have to see those parents in the community, it's like I was lying to them. I was literally just lying to them. I was pretending that I was in this great place and I was watching their kids' educations be taken advantage of and brushed off like it's nothing. Um, so, yeah. I have avoided talking on that for a while because clearly I could go and go. Um, but I really did not want that to be its own episode without some more direct questions. If, if there were more direct questions about it and people wanted like specific details about like my choices and things, I would be happy to record something more. But um, I really didn't want to give that nasty chapter of my life um, any more negative space to hold um, than was necessary. But I do hope that that kind of was able to give a little bit of insight um, as to what made me leave education. Um, I do want to wrap up on what I miss most about it, since that is the second part of this question. Um, most definitely, 3,000% above anything else, I miss most about it. Or what I miss most about it is the kids. Um, there is something so special to me about 
having the opportunity to see humans where they're at and where they need to be seen. And that helps me in couples photography and that helps me in boudoir photography, but that helped me first as a teacher Um, because teenagers most of all, and adults as well, but teenagers most of all, they need to be seen. They need to be seen for who they are, fucking appreciated for the badass weirdos that they are, and empowered to be reminded that they are strong enough to take on what the world throws at them. Um, I think that we as adults need support too, but we've been around the block a few times. We've got some experience under our belt, and high school kids just don't have that, you know? Like some of them have more experience than others, and a lot of them have more experience than we wish they would, but I wholeheartedly miss connecting with them and helping them through their stresses and talking to them about their home lives and their boyfriends and girlfriends and their sports and what stressed them out about practice last night or what part of the chemistry test they felt like they knew the best before the test and how they learned the parts of the Civil War the best and stuff like that. Like just connecting with them and seeing the way that their wild brains work and grow and adapt and evolve. Um, That is definitely the part that I miss the most. So um, I've been asked a million times if I'm going to go back into teaching. Um, And I think when I left teaching, I was, I told myself and everybody else that I was going to stay up on my teaching license, but I don't really think I ever had intentions of doing that. Um, And I think that that's probably against a lot of people's better judgment Um, And there's a chance that I still might knock out all my PD hours in November and December and keep it up. But I could see myself subbing again, Um, like whenever we move around, if ever we move around, subbing again somewhere. Um, But I just, I don't think that my wild heart and soul are made um, to flourish in an environment like that, that is so structured and is so closed-minded. Um because honestly, the public school system is very close-minded and it's just very structured and it has to be. And that's, there's good in that too. Um, but I think that if I were to work with kids again in the future, um, it would hopefully be in a, in a freer type of setting. I would love to run summer camps in the future for kids. Um, that is like, it was actually like a 2021 dream of mine before COVID hit. Uh, but yeah, I, Definitely want to find ways to still interact with kiddos, but I have to find ways that uh, can still complement my life with where I'm at. I said to somebody um, a few weeks ago, I said, I think that I will probably eventually end up back with kiddos, um, but I think right now my personality and um, the type of life that I lead is making me a lot more efficient in connecting with people my age and older. And I think that I have a mark to be made um, with these generations before I go back to students and let them refulfill me, if that makes sense. Um, I think that people who have seen me work with kids are like, oh my God, you belong with kids. But I truly just feel in my heart, I just belong with humans. Um, I think that humans are my people and they're all, all ages are my ages. Um, open-minded is really my specificity, not the age. Um, So yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. I'm happy to have finally been able to share that with you. This is quite the episode. Make sure you tune back in for part two in a couple weeks. I can't wait to continue sharing 
little bits of me and my life and this business and brand and what makes me tick. Um, so thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited for you to hear next week's episode with a very special guest. And until then, take care. I love you guys.